good morning. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, I think you've probably had that experience where it seems like God is speaking to you in surround sound, like you just hear and see the same themes cropping up in several different places. I don't think it's any accident that on this Sunday when Greg and Todd are back with us and giving a report about their time with those pastors from Pakistan that we are in Romans 15 verses 14 through 33. And there is this kind of surround sound effect as God speaks to us about global missions. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 15. According to the Joshua Project, approximately 3.34 billion people on earth live in the least reached people groups in the world. And the Joshua Project defines least reached, or maybe you've heard the term unreached, as a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. There's no established church there preaching the gospel, no established witness to Jesus Christ in that nation, which means people who live in those people groups live outside of access. So many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ before. Most of us, however, lack the ability to conceptualize numbers like 3.34 billion. Brain scientists say that we actually, all of us, we tend to count like one, two, three, four, many. And it gets above that and, and it all just kind of becomes foggy to us. We know a lot, a lot more. 3.34 billion. So try this. If you were to line all of those people up with a foot of space, not like six feet social distancing space, but just a foot, all right? Be really aggressive here. A single file line of 3.34 billion people would stretch 632,575 miles. That number is still too big to understand. That's 25 and a half times around the equator. 25 and a half times around the equator. Or, this helps, the moon is on average about 239,000 miles away from the earth. So imagine a road stretching from the earth to the moon, a single file line of all those unreached people would stretch to the moon and back to earth and halfway back to the moon. That helps a little bit, right? Still, still too big to fully comprehend, but we get a sense of how huge that is. It, how long would it take you to count those people? If you're counting one of them every second, 106 years, day and night. Once per second, 24-7, 106 years. That's how many people live in parts of the world with no established gospel witness. How are those people going to hear that Jesus Christ died for their sins? How are they going to hear that news? More specifically, I think the question for us is, how does God intend to use Emmaus Road Church, this small congregation of Christians in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to be part of reaching those 3.34 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus? And why should we care? What could we possibly do that would make a dent in such a huge number? I think the answer for us 
is found in this text this morning. We will make progress in that mission of telling the world about Jesus in the same way that Paul and the early church made progress in that mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it's described for us here in Romans 15. So I want to invite you to stand with me if you're physically able out of our regard for God and his word as I read verses 14 through 33. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, I myself... I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. But they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word so that you would accomplish in us by your spirit and through your word all that you intend. Would you fuel in us a global ambition for the gospel that Jesus Christ would be known and trusted and treasured and praised to the ends of the earth. And God, would you lead us as a church what a privilege it would be for us to be part of that, for the saints of Emmaus Road Church to be part of that global mission, what you're doing on earth for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Romans 15, 14 through 33 is all about gospel 
ministry. It's about the aim of gospel ministry, the nature of gospel ministry, the scope, the methods, the means of gospel ministry. It's all about gospel ministry, and you can tell that's what it's about because of the repetition. In verse 16, Paul calls himself a minister of Christ Jesus in the priestly service. So he's borrowing Old Testament language to talk about the work that he's doing in priestly terms, the priestly service of the gospel of God. He speaks of his work for God in verse 17, and he says in verse 19, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then he reaches this climactic declaration in verse 20, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And Paul writes to the Christians in Rome an update on his ministry plans. Here's what he's about to do, and here's what he intends to do after that. But he's not writing merely to inform them. Just, hey, just so you know where I'm at in the world. It's not merely an update. He's writing this in order to gain their glad and generous participation with him in global gospel ministry. Does that make sense? According to Romans 15, the gospel of Jesus Christ will advance to the ends of the earth, to people who have never heard the gospel before, as local churches strategically partner together to proclaim the gospel in the power of God. That's what Romans 15 reveals to us. This is how God intends for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth, as local churches partner together to proclaim the gospel in the power of God. That's how it worked in Paul's day, and that's still true today. This text is meant to inform us also. Even though Paul's ministry plans have long since passed, we're living in a different era, different millennium, this text is still meant to inform us and motivate us toward global mission. My prayer is that God would use this passage in Emmaus Road Church to fuel the same kind of gospel ambition that we would give ourselves earnestly to engage in the work of church planting here and to the ends of the earth. So to that end, I want to show you four aspects of gospel ministry Paul highlights in his ministry update. Global ambition, gospel proclamation, strategic partnership, and divine providence. These things are meant to encourage and motivate and sustain our ambition for the gospel. First, global ambition. The gospel of Jesus Christ itself is what produces this kind of global ambition in the people of God. Listen to how Paul defines the nature of his gospel ministry in verse 18. He writes, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What has Christ accomplished through him? To bring the Gentiles to obedience. That's familiar already at this point because... That's how he spoke in his introduction way back in chapter 1. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. This is what he's doing. This is the ministry, to bring people into obedience to Christ through faith in the gospel. In his closing, at the very end of the letter, Paul says the same thing, that the gospel has been known, made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And Paul set up in Romans 1, this is the state of the world today. All people are living in disobedience toward God, rebellion against God. And that rebellion deserves God's righteous wrath, but... The gospel 
is the power of God to reconcile those rebellious and disobedient people to God, not by their own effort, not by their works or their exertion, but by grace through faith. And so through the gospel, people who are right now worshiping idols, living in rebellion against God, enslaved to their passions, they are being set apart through the gospel to be living sacrifices for the glory of God. Look at verse 16. Paul describes himself this way, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. He considers this a a priestly service so that the offering of the Gentiles, he sees the peoples of the earth as an offering to God for the glory of God. Living sacrifices, the language that he used back in chapter 12, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that's the nature of gospel ministry. God is winning for himself people, worshipers, who were idol worshipers, and now they're worshiping the true and living God, and he's doing that through the gospel. And what's stunning is what Paul says in verses 19 and 23. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 23, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What is he talking about? It's done? He's done it already? There's no more room to work there? Certainly Paul can't mean everyone in those regions has already been converted to the gospel. Certainly he doesn't mean everybody who has been converted is perfectly mature, but evidently he considered that some measurable task was objectively complete, and he was ready to move on. And I think we have a definition in verse 14 of fulfilled ministry when he says to the Christians in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Paul's satisfied when he sees Gospel knowledge and gospel fruit multiplying in gospel community. People know and understand the gospel, and that gospel is producing fruit, fruit of goodness, and they're able to teach each other. And when that's happening, then churches are established and healthy, and Paul considers his work to be done. And he's ready to move on. Move on to what? To new frontiers, to unreached people. That was his particular mandate as an apostle. Verses 20 and 21, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Someone compared Paul to those American frontiersmen who considered their neighborhood to be too crowded if they could see the smoke from anyone else's fire anywhere on the horizon. If I can see somebody else's smoke, it is way too crowded. It's time for me to pack up and move. That's kind of how Paul operated, right? If, if the gospel's been preached and people are believing and they're gathered in a church and they're building each other up, there's no room for me here. I have to go find a new frontier where people have not yet heard about Christ. It's the gospel itself that produces that kind of global ambition to bring the gospel to people who have no access to it today. Think about this. Paul was just talking about how to deal with differences in community, differences of diet and holidays and various things. And next thing we know, he's into this global ambition for the gospel. Why why does he go from dealing with differences to missions and ministry? I think the flow of thought in this letter is really important, and and it's instructive for us. The whole 
arc of Romans goes like this. Gospel, community, mission. Gospel, community, mission. And proportionately, think about it like this. Paul spends chapters 1 through 11 on the gospel. And in those 11 chapters, there's like a a brief section in chapter 6 where he gives a, a command about putting sin to death. Otherwise, there are no commands for 11 chapters. It's just the indicative reality, this is what God has done in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 12, he gets into the implications of the gospel for your life in community. Offer your life as a living sacrifice. Love one another. Here's how you live together in a community shaped by the gospel. Chapters 12 and 13 and 14 into 15. And then he takes just half a chapter to talk about gospel mission. And commentators, when they're trying to figure out what's the purpose of this letter, it seems like Paul's writing the entire letter of Romans to get the support of the church in Rome so that they would help him on this mission to Spain. But he doesn't start with an appeal for their support. He doesn't mention it at all. He takes all this time just talking about the gospel and then very briefly mentions this mission to the ends of the earth. It's like it doesn't take any effort at all to stir up support among people who understand the gospel that's been laid out throughout the entire book up to this point, right? I I think of it kind of like felling a tree. I got to have this experience. My parents lost a tree in one of these storms that we had. So my brother-in-law borrowed some chainsaws and we're trying to take it down. I got all into felling trees, like following this awesome channel on YouTube, watching how these guys bring down 150-foot tall Douglas fir trees out in Seattle. It's incredible. Most of the effort goes into cutting the notch on the tree to line it up the direction they want that huge tree to fall. And if you do that right, you cut that notch just right, just the right angle, it just takes a little gentle cut through the back, and that huge tree comes down exactly where they want it to go. It's a beautiful thing. That's the letter of Romans. Paul spends all his time setting up, this is the gospel. The power of God to save everyone who believes. It's for Jews and Gentiles alike. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That runs throughout the letter. So it just takes no effort at all when he gets to the end to just say, so everybody needs to hear that. The whole world needs to hear that. And if you've been tracking with him up to this point, you would say, oh yeah, of course. That's a no-brainer. It's God's power to save me and everyone else who believes. And there are people who haven't yet heard They need to hear too. The gospel creates this global ambition. The gospel is the power of God to save all who believe. Therefore, the whole world needs to hear the gospel. All people everywhere. So would you pray that God would increase our global ambition for the gospel? Pray that God would stir that in us. The more we're affected by the gospel, that we would be affected by the fact that there are 3.34 billion people living in the least reached peoples on earth today. Number two, gospel proclamation. At the center of gospel mission is the gospel message. That's why Paul describes his ministry as the priestly service of the gospel. He calls himself a minister of the gospel of Christ. His ambition is to preach the gospel. The gospel is at the center of the mission. And gospel ministry is verbal. It's about preaching. 
and teaching and telling and describing and explaining and answering questions about the gospel. People have to be told. They have to hear the gospel. This is, this is just the missional implication of the doctrinal truth we heard back in chapter 10. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then remember that chain Paul lays out in chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? So at the end of the chain is people calling on the name of the Lord, being saved from their sins. At the beginning is people being sent out to preach the gospel of Jesus to those who have never heard. When the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, when that particular message is told, the power of God is at work. Like Paul said back in chapter 116, his thesis for the whole book, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it has pleased God. You, just, you ever marvel at this? It, this is how God has chosen to work in the world, through a message, a message that the intellectually proud people consider to be foolish, that arrogant people find offensive, the message that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, came in weakness, that he died a, a brutal death, death to suffer God's righteous wrath in the place of guilty sinners so that we could be reconciled to God, that's the message through which God is revealing his power on earth. And wherever that message is proclaimed, God works powerfully. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How? How does Christ bring Gentiles to obedience? By word and deed, word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. The gospel advances by word and deed. It has to be preached, proclaimed, and where it's preached, God is pleased to show up and deliver people and save them powerfully, to heal people, deliver people from illnesses and oppression, from sin. So this is how the gospel advances. We have a message we have to tell the world. Christians are to show and tell the gospel. Not either or, but both and. When Paul speaks of signs and wonders, he's talking about miracles that God performs to confirm the message. They're signs because they point to Christ and they confirm the message of the gospel. They're wonders because they cause people to marvel at God. Wherever that message goes, God goes in power and saves people. So would you pray? We, we talk this way about the city of Sioux Falls. This is just a, a vision that gives us some sense of the scope of why we exist here. Why has God planted churches in Sioux Falls? So that every resident of the city of Sioux Falls would have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person who lives here, we want them to hear about Jesus. That's why we live here. And then there are billions of people around the world who live without access to the gospel. Would you pray that God would show us how to bring the gospel to them as well? Number three, strategic partnership. Partnership of local churches. Paul states his request for partnership, for financial, logistical support in verse 24 like this. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Then he asks for prayer support in verse 30. In 
the strongest possible terms when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. It's not possible to appeal to somebody by anything higher than that. I appeal to you by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he's asking them, here's why I'm coming. I want you to help me get to Spain and I want you to pray for me beginning now, before I get to you. It's going to be a while before I get there. Pray for me. Not just pray for me, strive together. That's, that's language of like wrestling, laboring in prayer to God on his behalf. The gospel does not reach the ends of the earth apart from the participation, the partnership of local churches, everyday believers who themselves may not be going to the ends of the earth, but they are giving, supporting, sending, praying for that to happen. Local churches, by God's will, serve as staging area, areas to send out missionaries and laborers into frontier missions. Local churches partner together in prayer and material support and in identifying called and qualified people to send and discerning where it is that God is calling those people to go. In order for some to go, others have to Stay and send them and finance them and pray for them and encourage them and support them. That's how God works. For Paul, people in local churches are, are not, just, not just a task, not just a, a project or a business, not a means to an end. He, he's not merely after their support. He's after their participation, their partnership. He sees them as partners in this work. He says in verse 23, I have longed for many years to come to you. He's eager to see them. When he finally gets there, he intends to linger there, to enjoy their company. He says in verse 32, I'm going to be refreshed in your company. So his fellowship with them is a significant thing to them. He's passing through. He's not going to stay long. He's on his way to people who have never heard, bringing the gospel there, but he's not so frantic and hurried that he doesn't have time to stop there with them. And he says in verse 29, I know I will come to you in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He expressed this desire back in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, where he he told them, I pray all the time when I pray for you, here's what I pray for, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last finally succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is how God works in the world. He intends for people to be in community with each other, not just locally, but extra locally, to be connected to other believers in other regions, to be so connected that our lives are tied together, sharing in the blessings of Christ, that we're building one another up, strengthening one another, and that's how the mission advances. We don't just exist by ourselves here in Sioux Falls. We are connected to the global body of Christ. And for us, this finds practical expression in our intentional partnership with other Sovereign Grace churches. This is one of our shared values as a Sovereign Grace church, our unity in governance and mission together. It's stated like this, our shared mission enables our individual churches to do far more together than we could ever do separately. So we're connected to churches in Pakistan. There are believers over there that you've never met. And we're connected to them. 
because we've sent our pastors to train their pastors, and we're praying for them, and we may never see them until glory, and yet we're connected to that work, and they're encouraged through your support. Isn't that an incredible thing? to be connected together, to know God is accomplishing far more. It's, if you just think of 3.34 billion people, it's, it's overwhelming. What could we possibly do? We partner together, carry on faithfully in what God has set before us, and we trust that he will use these efforts to reach more and more and more people. That he'll multiply that until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So pray that God would strengthen those strategic partnerships that we have for the sake of church planting, both locally and globally. Finally, I want you to see God's divine providence in all of this. All of the sending, all of the going, all of the working and witnessing and giving, it's all powerless unless God acts. God himself is the source of gospel ambition. Look at the end of verses 15 into 16. Where Paul says, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Why was Paul a minister of the gospel? By the grace of God. And that gospel, it's God's gospel, by the way. It's his, it belongs to him. And that gospel sets people apart, how? Through Paul's labors? No, because the Holy Spirit sanctifies people. The Spirit of God is at work to accomplish that. It's amazing in this text how fluidly Paul goes back and forth between speaking of my work for God, and the next thing you know, he's talking about what Christ has accomplished through me. This is my work for God, but I'm not going to talk about anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He's talking about the power of the Spirit of God, and then he can say, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Because in all of his working and laboring, God is working. Christ is accomplishing his work. Without the grace of God, without the power of the Spirit, without the presence of the risen Christ, gospel ministry would be impossible. And that's why Paul is so earnest to employ the prayer support of Christians in Rome. Verse 31, look at his specific request. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. So at this point in Paul's ministry, he's collected an offering from Gentile churches in Greece They have given financially to support poor Christians in Jerusalem, and Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem to deliver that, and he knows that's a dangerous thing because there are a lot of people in Jerusalem who hate him and the gospel that he preaches, and so he asks them specifically to pray for his safety, that he would be delivered so that he could carry on this mission and bring the gospel further. And we know how this turns out in the book of Acts. God does, in fact, answer this specific request but he does so in the most unexpected way. The story, you can find it if you go read in Acts 21, 22, 23. You remember that? When Paul gets to Jerusalem to deliver this gift, a mob of people recognize him in the temple and they grab him intent on killing him. Do you remember how God answers the prayer for his deliverance? He gets arrested by the Romans. Arrested by the Romans, taken into custody. And while he's in custody, some Jews plot together to kill him and they take this oath, we're not going to eat or drink anything until we succeed in killing Paul. And again, he's protected because he's in Roman custody as a prisoner. And he does make it to Rome, just as he intended, except not in the way that he thought it was going to happen. He arrives in Rome as a prisoner because he appealed to Caesar. So he's detained in Jerusalem all these years. We we just see God working in these unexpected ways. 
And yet, in answer to prayer, and John Murray comments on these verses, the lessons for us to be derived here are numberless. We have our plans. Oh, we think this is how missions is going to look, and we think this is how it's going to go, and we think this is how Greg is going to get to Jordan, and nothing like what we thought. And yet we strive together in prayer, confident God is going to make it happen. We trust him. We rely on him. We're desperate for him. And so we pray and pray and pray and pray because without his power, it's impossible. And this is ultimately how billions more will hear the name of Jesus and call on him. Because you see, gospel mission is not first a task. It's not first an assignment. It's not first a commission to us. It is first a promise. This is crucial for you to see. Gospel mission is first and foremost a promise. In verse 21, Paul cites Isaiah 52. He says, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Do you get that? When you think about 3.34 billion people, do you just think, that's impossible. How could that ever happen? That's so overwhelming. That's so far beyond our ability. Do you you first and foremost think of frontier missions as an impossible task, or do you think of it as a promise guaranteed by the blood of Jesus? Because this verse that Paul takes out of Isaiah 52, let, let me read for you in context what Isaiah says. Isaiah 52, 14 through 15. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. See what Isaiah is talking about? When was his form marred beyond that of any other? in his death on the cross. Isaiah's foretelling the death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the nations, and that's already happened. And along with that promise that Jesus would die for the sins of the nations comes the promise they're also going to hear about it and believe. That's going to happen too. They will hear. They will understand. They will see. They will glory in their Redeemer. It's going to happen. Isaiah foretold it. God will accomplish it. And that's what motivates us in this global mission. God is going to bring it about that the ends of the earth see and hear and know and praise him. So when you pray for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, you're just asking God to do what he's already promised to do. Bring that about. I want to close with this an illustration from the life of Adoniram Judson because I think it's profoundly encouraging that God is continuing to do this. Judson was one of the first missionaries sent out from the United States in the early 1800s. Judson was sent to preach the gospel in Burma in Southeast Asia. That country is now called Myanmar. And one biographer writes, when Adoniram Judson entered Burma in July 1813, it was a hostile and utterly unreached place. William Carey, who was a missionary in India, had just told Judson, a few months earlier, not to go there. Probably would have been considered a closed country today with anarchic despotism, fierce war with Siam, which is now Thailand, 
enemy raids, constant rebellion, no religious toleration, this biographer says, all the previous missionaries there had either died or left. Judson's work as a missionary came with incredible sacrifice. He, he labored in Burma for nearly 40 years. He returned to the United States only once. His first two wives died on the mission field. His wife, Anne, bore three children. None of them lived longer than two years. During a war between Britain and Burma, Judson was imprisoned for nearly a year and a half in the most dreadful, torturous conditions that you can imagine. Whatever you imagine it would be like to be brutally treated in a jungle prison, that's what happened to him. And yet, nearly 20 years after arriving in, Bur in Burma, Judson finally saw the power of God manifested through the preaching of the gospel and an incredible response. And he recorded that in his journal like this. The spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving to none but those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications at the house, 6,000 people visiting his house. Some come two or three months' journey from the borders of Siam and China. Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, please give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus Christ is little known. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. Today, the Myanmar Baptist Convention, which has its roots in Judson's work, reports 5,319 churches throughout the nation of Myanmar with 1.7 million members. That association of churches traces its roots all the way back to the sacrifices of that man and the churches in the United States who sent him and his wife. 3.34 billion people today living beyond gospel witness. But the gospel is the power of God to save them, and they need to hear it, and they will hear it. We're trusting God to lead us into strategic partnership. So we're going to pray to that end. We're going to live and labor and give to that end until the name of Jesus is known and praised from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glorious promises. They do often seem to us astonishing, hard to believe, bigger than we could imagine. How, how could this be? So this morning, we simply want to affirm our confidence, our trust in you that you're going to do this. You're going to cause Jesus to be known. You're pleased to work through us. So lead us, we pray, oh God. And as we've already prayed in this service, for those preaching the gospel around the world, strengthen them, strengthen their witness, make it effective. And lead us in the coming years as a church to identify where would you have us focus our efforts? Of all the people who haven't heard, is there a particular people you would have us focus on? give our attention to. Lead us for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.